Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by May Finch. Hello, hello. And Will Rotondi. Hey, how are you? On today's episode, we are going to be talking about The Apartment in our Time Machine episode, where we look at a film that is older than 50 years and talk about it. We will also be drawing a side quest, playing a game. But first, we are checking in with some movies that got pushed due to the ongoing writers and actor strike. Uh, Most notably, I think probably Dune 2, as far as this podcast is concerned. But there's been several others, including the new Godzilla. Uh, I don't know if it's Times Kong, Cross Kong, X Kong. I'm not really sure, but. Uh, the new Godzilla Kong film is being pushed and there's a few others that are in doubt as well such as uh, I think Wonka The Color Purple amongst many many others Um, so I think this is relevant to talk about because I know we brought up the strike several times but I think this is probably where Hopefully, the people that are striking will gain some some traction and momentum um, as far as the ongoing strike and where, frankly, the studios are really going to start to to feel it. You know, yeah. the content that can't be finished or put out timely, the wallets are where where they're going to feel it the, the most. Um, I have seen some some pretty funny uh, tweets and updates uh, specifically about uh them hire like the the studios hiring like a pr disaster like firm to try to like mitigate the message as well as a breakdown of like what the strike demands are and like what it would mean for the bottom line and um it didn't break one percent of the studios like revenues in any of their cases for like what they're they're looking for so all interesting things yeah (laughs) so discuss discuss how do you guys feel about the movie delays and and how it kind of pertains to the ongoing strikes. I mean, I very much support the strikes. I think that uh, having read the demands, they're quite reasonable. And a lot of them are going to set important, important precedents when it comes to things like AI and how we use that in creative fields. Um, so yeah, I think it's super important. It's happening. Um, we have decades and decades of cinema that we can revisit now. So I'm actually kind of excited to see like old stuff being brought back um, to kind of like fill those gaps that are happening as a result of the strike. And as sad as I am that Dune is getting pushed back. So I was telling the guys before we started recording, it's for me, really, I get to finish the book now. I wasn't going to have time to finish the book. So sorry, it's my fault. I will try to finish that book and get Dune 2 out for you guys. (laughs) Yeah, I um I'm pretty much in agreement. I think that what they're asking for, I mean, if I was an actor, I don't think it's unreasonable for what they're asking for. I think it was crazy when AI became an issue for like extras to just be able to take their likeness and just basically copy paste into infinity and not pay them for it. I was like, nah, that's a little shisty, don't you think? Or like even you guys don't. Yeah, like yeah, you guys, I mean they're even paying you them. guys know that's like <laughs> bullshit, right? Like, come yeah. on. So just stuff like that where I don't know, it was like the weirdest disconnect. Um because I mean AI and I just say this from 
working in marketing, like, yeah, AI is there, but AI is a tool. It's not replacing the human element. It's not replacing the essence behind the words that are getting generated or getting edited after the fact or getting created as a different image or modified or whatever it is. I mean, you still need the skill set. So it's a tool. It shouldn't be a replacement. And um, I just find that it's very unfortunate that that's this is where that battle has to happen. Um, but I'm also in the same camp where I agree that now is a good time to go back for all the, for anybody who's ever said, oh, there's too much content. I'll never have time to watch it. Well, now is the time to go back and watch it and also support your, support your creatives and mm -hmm. tell producers where they can stick it. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> yeah. I saw a cheeky little tweet. I'll have to see if I can find out and attribute credit properly. But that was like when the article was posted that they had hired a PR firm, like for this, they were like, Oh, why don't you use AI? Uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, to de defend you uh, yeah i mean obviously it's disappointing but um i think it's something a lot of people you know are on board with like if they if this is the result and it um like temporarily but like the, the the greater result is that people get paid what they should be paid um they these studios make so much money uh, particularly the people at the top really like are the ones that typically benefit the most from that. I think the longer the strikes go on, the greater the resentment's going to grow too. So I, I like, I don't, they're not doing themselves any favors. I don't think with the people that they would work alongside. And it's been kind of disappointing to see the tactics that they've tried to use to, to, to get to sort of circumvent the solidarity that's going on right now. I'm glad that the people participating can kind of see through that and are, speaking loudly about them trying to circumvent those um you know the the groups um to try to get some what's the word i'm looking for division i guess amongst mm -hmm. all of them but yeah um i'll take it listen i i as both of you pointed out got plenty to catch up on so it's fine. It's it's really disappointing that like at a time where cinema is really kind of coming back in a big way, people are showing up to theaters again and excited that it's got to go down now. But hey, so be it. Um, that's what that's what it takes. But um, Correct yeah, me I think if this I'm is... wrong. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's um, oh, okay. Uh, didn't isn't like a twenty four able to still do a lot of their work because they did just immediately comply to the demands. I'd have to check. That. It wouldn't surprise me. You yeah. know, we've we've kind of shouted them as being unique amongst the studios because they don't operate like a traditional studio does and tend to produce work that uh, hit or miss like is more interesting than the common fare that comes out. Like when I see that logo come across the screen, I get excited. It's like mm -hmm. a Pavlovian response for me. I don't know if I'm going to love the film that I'm watching, but I know it's going to be interesting, you know, and, and probably very different. So um i think this is just the first wave of it uh, the longer this happens the more these will probably see pushed and uh, a good like i you know i think like fuck them is kind of how i feel like mm -hmm. yeah, like uh, not the writers and, and actors to be clear but like <laughs> the, the studio executives that you know hopefully will suffer more in the long run i did think it was sort of like just eye rolly that um i saw that privately the netflix powers that be are worried that if they concede on the the domestic front that like some of their international partners are going to want similar things and it's like that's that's the worry huh is that like 
you're going to have to pay fairly across the board. Like I, I'd seen some interesting things about how they have treated like their partners in like uh, Korea, for example, for, for hit shows like squid games and like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, sucks, man. It's expo- ex- exploitative. And I think Hollywood always has been to some degree, just, um, just a new type of exploitation with things like AI and them wanting to, churn out content for content's sake like it's just a very different model than it used to be where like you, you made a tv show and you got nielsen ratings or you made a film and you had box office receipts and critical success meant a lot it's not really necessarily the case like anymore sad times but hopefully we have a happy ending we shall see and now my friends i'm gonna draw us a side quest so oh, please so i do that dun, 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 dun. All right, so this is going to be a group therapy card. Where <laughs> we talk about a film that is best watched with an audience or with a group of friends. I have one, but it's sort of like it's a weird reason for it. So I'm just going to I'll throw it out there and I'll explain why. And then you can tell me what you think. I'm going to bank uh, mine. So I just want yeah. to hear yours now. Yeah. OK. All right. All right. Cool. Um, I nominate Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Will. Tell us all about I, The it. reason why is, um, so when that movie came out, I remember, I don't think I watched it in its entirety um, until, like, I, I started watching it, I think, on an airplane ride. And I don't think I watched it in its entirety until after that. And I couldn't tell you the circumstances about why. I just, I remember it being on an airplane and there were a lot of people watching it i mean this was back when it was all like you only had so many options for movies to watch and it was censored unlike today (laughs) so you don't have to worry about you know showing anything too scandalous um and it was like a lot of different screens that would all pretty much show like just that one movie Mm -hmm. and i think that by the end of it there were just a bunch of people sitting around like teary-eyed and i was young enough that i don't think that movies really affected me to the same degree like that um but i just thought it was interesting like what that must i mean because this was not like the traditional sense of sitting in a theater watching this and you know everybody's in the dark and you don't really see faces but to be on a plane and everyone's sort of collectively going through this cathartic experience um that i just thought that was interesting so that's why i nominate it because some people are like this movie really moved me and other people are like this movie was really exciting and you know and then there's just like the the cinematic you know i don't know where i was going to go with that but just like the the visuals man of like you know it's james cameron so it's big and it's intense so um but yeah that's why i would dominate that film i like it. I think it's good good choice Thoughts on where you were when you watched it and what you felt. (laughs) Um, So the first time I saw that, I was on a date and um, I don't know how much of the movie I was paying attention to. I'm just going to leave it, leave it there. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did see it a couple times in the theaters, though, because I I think the first time I saw it, um, I was occupied. But um, yeah, like, you know, I've given Titanic a lot of like shit over the years, uh, good naturedly. Um, for because like it's been memefied a lot, and um, you know it's it's sort of easy to to pick on again, like good naturedly, like never really like seriously. Uh, but I think it's it's an excellent movie that does a lot of things well. It's an adventure film. 
it's an historical curiosity. It is a romance. And we watched it over the pandemic, I think. And it's been a while since I've seen it. And um, it is just, just a genuinely like amazing film that is surprisingly historically accurate in a lot of ways. Um, specifically to like the the ship itself like they really recreated a lot of like the look um you know if you look at photographs of the titanic and the actual wreck of the titanic itself is one of those things i've always been super obsessed with and fascinated by um particularly like you know the the search for it and the finding of it like i remember watching a documentary in school about it but i think it's a good movie to watch in a crowd because there's a like a lot of catharsis that happens um throughout the film you know i i think like and just astonishing moments that like in a crowd setting really pay off i did get slapped by my date because um my little teenage brain found it quite funny that like one of the last things that jack says to rose is like never let me go and then as soon as he dies she shoves him off the the raft <laughs> and i just i don't know it made me laugh like and i was a teenager and, and she like, slapped you Oh yeah, like not like you know, like hauled off across the face, but like definitely like, like the uh, pretty yeah, pretty solid. Like like <laughs> shut up, dude. Like um, it tickled me, and now every time I see that scene, I'm tempted to laugh. Like at the memory of me, like as a teenager laughing. Um, so that's my experience with Titanic. I think it was a great choice, though, and I was kind of bummed. I think it just came out to cinemas earlier in the year, like for the anniversary, and I missed it, and I'm kind of disappointed that that happened. But say lovey. Well, my first viewing experience was nowhere near as eventful. Um, I was watching it with my family and I think a couple other friends just on our TV at home when I was pretty young. And I like did not get the romance between Jack and Rose at all. I was like, why is she into him? Like (laughs) this other guy is giving her necklaces and looks hot. Why is she into this dude? (laughs) <laughs> oh boy saying, oh yeah <laughs> i'm gonna take a stab at knowing you for a while for about five years that, that you probably don't still feel that way no <laughs> <laughs> okay but i was i was like i don't know 11 maybe so yeah <laughs> he's in the third class like <laughs> nice uh, so I was mostly just judging Rose for her uh, romantic decisions the whole time. I was not paying attention to the ship or any other details. And then um, I feel like I watched it again, maybe college and like got to appreciate things a lot more. And it was like, oh, you know, this is this is a good movie. Like has its flaws, but it's, it's overall a good movie. But I would like to actually watch it again now with more of a film interpretation angle um, and see what I make of it. Because I will probably have a wildly different opinion and I will probably hate all of Rose's love interests this time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it holds up pretty well. Um, like, like it's it's a passion project. Yeah. I saw a clip floating around this year because of the anniversary and stuff where it was Bill Paxton talking about when somebody spiked the clam chowder with PCP. Have you guys heard that story? No. Vaguely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I encourage you to listen to it in Bill Paxton's own words because it's great. But he was on... Larry King live and he like so somebody like they had a um a food truck that would like serve the cast and crew while they were filming in Canada and somebody spiked the clam chowder with PCP and like a lot of people were like just tripping balls nobody was like permanently like harmed or anything but um 
it's a really uh, wild story because I never figured out who it was or like what the motivation was other than maybe just mischief. And wow. Bill, pa- Bill Paxton's sol- solution to that, like, and the way he told the story, like, it really made me miss him because he he's such a unique actor. And uh, I was like, yep, that's, I feel like you handled it probably the best. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll not spoil it for you, but you should look up that. It's like a little three minute clip of him telling this story, but nice. good times. <laughs> well, thank you, Will. It's a great pick. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Appreciate it. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Amen. And now it is time to see what Mr. Rotondi has in store for us with regards to the apartment. So, Will, if you would, sir, guide us through our discussion of the apartment. It would be my pleasure. So the apartment, which is not to be confused with the 1990s romantic thriller that you may google if you happen to google the apartment (laughs) this one was released back in 1960 and it's uh billy wilder directed i always want to see gene wilder i apologize if i do by mistake but billy wilder directed film about an insurance clerk uh whose name is cc baxter and he's played by jack lemon uh who lives in manhattan and has been trying to basically boost his income Uh, as well as his standing at the insurance company that he works for by allowing members of that company's senior management to borrow his apartment for their extramarital affairs. It's basically the worst way to Airbnb that you could think of. But (laughs) as as we quickly quickly find out, he does realize this is problematic because not only is he trying to hide this from his neighbors and his landlady especially, um, and also his co-workers, uh, but, you know, we find out quickly how easy it is for him to get his schedules mixed up or that the executives that he lends his apartment to get really pushy about when they can and can't come over or pressure him at like the middle of the night when they pick up some chick at a bar that maybe they're going to get lucky and that this is a really beautiful lady and I gotta have your apartment right now. Um, and then, of course, it doesn't help matters when we find out that his boss, uh, who's played by uh, Fred McMurray who is, uh, the character's name is Jeff Sheldrake. Uh, When we find out that Sheldrake has also learned about the apartment and that the girl that Baxter happens to be interested in, named Fran, who's played by Shirley MacLaine, is the girl that Sheldrake is also, uh, has been seeing and sees at his apartment. So there's a little bit of a complication there, understandably, for the, the drama that ensues later. Rather than try and recap the whole film, um, even though it's not nearly as convoluted as Heat was last week when we talked about that, um, I'd rather talk about this movie in stages and then ask questions along the way as we go. Um, but before we do that, as always, I'd like to get your general impressions about the film. And May, I'm going to go ahead and just choose you first if you're cool with doing that. <laughs> it's fine. I, I was venting in the podcast group chat, so I offered myself up there, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, this is like called a rom-com on like Wikipedia and stuff, but like the the com is doing a lot of work. Um, this was very bleak for most of it, I would say. And like, I was definitely rooting for Fran and Cece by the end, but not necessarily as a couple, but just for the the character growth that they had. Um, and so I guess like it worked in that sense, but yeah, God, very 
bleak and serious and um yeah it just wasn't quite was what I was expecting but it was very good um I appreciated the comedy that was in there was a lot more I guess physical and slapstick than I expected like with the tennis racket and noodles mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and just some of the um absurdity of the apartment logistics like I thought there was a really cool balance of comedy and like suspense full of almost horror too to that um the timing dynamic there with what was going on at the apartment um so yeah overall I enjoyed it it just was very dark and I had to like watch some very silly stuff immediately after it's true and it is interesting that it's sort of like I'm trying to think about what it was. Chris mentioned that I think at one point when he was trying to explain everything everywhere all at once that the goofiness in the, of that movie is sort of disarming you for the seriousness that's going to mm-hmm. hit you later. And I think that it's kind of the same way here too, where we have a film that's set up that it seems like on the outset, it's just going to be, like you said, kind of slapstickish. Characters are acting sort of over the top or, you know, unre- in, in a way that you would almost say, would you really be doing this um, just for the sake of the, mm-hmm. of the comedy aspect? And then all of a sudden it, it gets dark with, you know, attempted suicide and talking about not just, you know, Fran's attempted suicide, but also Cece's experience with thinking about committing suicide before and um it just it goes in some you know even the idea too of like making it deeper than just joking about having an affair to like the serious repercussions of it and the people who are involved and their emotions and when people try to manipulate each other and yeah so it just I'm in the same boat it took me by surprise too and I think that's why I liked it so much where I, I went into it thinking okay so just my expectation of a film in this time period being a black and white film and having these actors in it, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to get out of it. And then it was like, no, this is more than that. And I really like that it is. So I can definitely relate. Um, but Chris, before I talk your ear off a little bit more, tell me what you thought about the film. I love this movie. I really did. Uh, I've seen a lot of Billy Wilder films and this is a nice little reminder of why he's considered to be one of the greatest like classic Hollywood directors ever. There's just a richness and a timelessness to so many of his films. Um, I don't know if it passed Sunset Boulevard for me. Like, but it's close. It's close. Nice. That, that one I really adore because it is about Hollywood. And as we've established many times, any movie that's about Hollywood, like, it always has my interest because I, I think that's fascinating. But uh, yeah, these characters feel so alive and real and complex and their 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 motivations are complicated and their stories are tragic and um, comical. Uh, there's just there's a lot going on. And I kind of appreciated that it wasn't pigeonholed. I really didn't look up too much about this because I wanted to experience it purely. But uh, I was was very satisfed by uh, that. I think this is a hard movie to really put in a firm genre. Like if you want to call it a rom com, yeah. as as Wikipedia does, that's that's fine. I don't know that I would classify that. I think there's certainly comedic elements to it, but I think that's a good thing that you can't really pigeonhole um, the film. It was a a trip to see a young Shirley MacLaine who was brilliant. Yeah. She's absolutely brilliant. She broke my heart. 
on several occasions in the film. And I think it's the best performance uh, in the film uh, by, by far, although Jack Lemmon's also great in it, but uh, yeah, I really can't speak highly enough of it. I just, I, I was delighted by it um, in terms of just how good it was, you know, maybe not delighted by all the content in the film, but I, like just how good it was. And this is one that I think that uh, I'll look forward to watching over and over again. It's going to go into the rotation because I thought it was just, it was, it was amazing. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I think that I would encourage anybody too, for those listening, that if you actually haven't seen the film, I mean, I'm assuming you would have before you're listening to us talk about it, but <laughs> I would encourage anybody who's ever, you know, thought about it too, that if you start the film and you think it's going to be a certain way to just kind of keep going. And I say that too, because my wife started watching it with me and I think she got a little frustrated with CeCe's decision to be such a pushover and didn't get to the point where it gets deeper than, you know, just sort of the, you know, the goofiness of it. Uh, I mean, that goofiness is still sort of there and it's important to his character because of what he has to learn from the experience. But, uh, but yeah, so. Hit pause. We'll we'll be back or or, no, we'll be back. We'll wait. Like hit pause, watch it. We'll wait for you. It's fine. That's right. The, um, (laughs) I think for me, just the only other thought to add about general impressions is that I like how Oh, excuse me. I like how it feels like it's a film that's relevant no matter when you watch it. You know, you could tell the same story and you would have people that could relate to it at any point. I mean, because it's it's basically just the, you know, people that want to please others who do it so much that they're either a pushover or they're naive or they let others take advantage of them or just the feelings of, you know, wanting to connect with people that it's just a problematic relationship and or just dealing with suicide uh, which was a surprisingly large portion of the film that i did not see coming um but before you know all that happens you know the film starts out and what's you know basically as we've already established kind of a goofy comedy you know whether it's baxter who's kind of bending over backwards to let these executives use his apartment or tolerates how they speak to him or watching how those guys, you know, the comments that they have about the women that they're with, who they're trying to hook up with. Um, And even to the point where Baxter gets locked out of his apartment because one of the guys loses his key and then he's just stuck out in the cold overnight and then has to try and scramble to reschedule three other guys while he's at the office dealing with having a cold and a fever so that he can just have his apartment for one night to get some rest. Um, I'm kind of wondering sort of like when you, I guess my first question for this is when you were watching the film and you came to that point, if you found sort of that lead in to be, I guess, in terms of how your, your, your sense of comedy is now, if you found it to be funny, sort of this, this setup, or if you didn't find it funny and how you kind of expected the rest of the film at that point to be like did you think it was going to kind of continue in that vein or did you think that maybe there was going to be a little bit something else happen down the line yeah i thought the the themes were pretty mature for uh for the time period um this predates a comedy starring one of jack lemon's uh, frequent co-stars uh walter Matthau. Yeah. Uh, called a guide to the uh, our guide for the married man guide to the married man the guide for the married man yes which is a movie that is kind of similarly about how to have an affair and not get caught 
but that's like 67. So for 1960, this quite surprised me. And I think this is on that sort of cusp when you get films like Psycho and things, but it handles a lot uh, pretty deftly. Doesn't really make light of what the affairs are necessarily, but has a little bit of fun with it. The office politics definitely seem of the time, but not necessarily mm. outdated. Like it seems like a little snapshot of, hey, if you wanted to rise through the ranks, hard work was often not enough. And interestingly enough, um, there's a lot of Mad Men echoes in this uh, mm. for me of like watching the the office interactions and sort of how the men treat the women and how you have to play ball to 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 get ahead um i know I, I wasn't bo- certainly not bothered by the premise i thought it it was great comedic fodder and i think that's why the the kind of the mid film tragedy or near tragedy is kind of surprising because watching it my initial impression was okay a lot of the comedy is going to come from the increasing complexity of him trying to juggle all of these you know um things that are happening and maybe not let shirley mclean know that he's doing this and i was completely wrong of where the the film was was gonna go and i think when a film from this time period can subvert your expectations that greatly it's a good thing Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff of the time would have been pretty formulaic yeah i did not see this coming at all like I, I think one of you two had mentioned it was dark on the last podcast. I was like, I, I know this has to go south at some point or something like fairly shocking has to happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was I didn't see that coming. I do appreciate the scene itself had like a little bit of a lead in in terms of like kind of like showing that she notices the sleeping pills, puts them away, kind of does some other stuff and then comes back to them. So it like, I don't know, it's not just like a quick sudden scene and you're like, oh, my God, that happened um but yeah no definitely a huge tone shift um and yeah I guess there wasn't a better way to do that really because like we were talking about the humor does kind of disarm you and prepare you for the more serious stuff um and it yeah it's interesting the as I feel like the only kind of prediction you get of this that might happen is that as you learn more and more about Fran you see that like oh this cheery bubbly happy-go-lucky like uh you know she'll make a a veiled threat if you slap her ass but like otherwise won't be too like you know aggressive or self-assertive woman is actually like very troubled and sad and has been through a lot um and yeah so you get a little bit of a hit when you learn more about her backstory right beforehand but yeah, pretty pretty big tone shift. Did you did you find the setup like was still like funny all these years later? So this is sixty. I'm terrible at math. This be like what sixty three years ago, like more or less. Am I doing the math math right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like it still works or is it dated dated for you? May I'm curious. Um, like the no, setup I, can, like it yeah, it feels sorry. pretty modern, honestly. Like. I think the workplace sexual harassment might get treated a bit more sternly these days, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marianne was like, "Oh, there's no HR," and I was like, "I'm pretty sure personnel is HR. That's the worst part about all this." Like, yeah, you know, I think that's what they used to call HR. But yeah, 
They're like, HR is actually the one dancing on the table at the Christmas party right now. So if you want to talk to them about what's permitted, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, actually, I think you could play a really good game watching this film and comparing it to like current day um, office politics and being like, all right, so which of these would get you a red flag? <laughs> Let's just go through the list of what everybody was okay with in this movie that it's like, eh, actually, that's a no-no. You couldn't just go to a random executive's office and smooch in there during the office party. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good idea. Not a good look. Yeah. Hey, I mean, it happened Die in Hard. Die Hard as well. But like, yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah, but that was also 90s and Coke was involved. So, eh, and some extenuating of... circumstances. Yeah, terrorists, you know, it happens. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, well, speaking of actually, that kind of segues into into the next question that I sort of had just out of for humor's sake which was um well I'll, I'll I'll kind of tie in a little bit of the narrative that we had leading up to that so after we get sort of that humorous introduction and sort of the rescheduling that, ba that Baxter is trying to do for his apartment um he gets called up to Mr. Sheldrake's office hoping that he's going to get promoted and then quickly has a moment of panic when Sheldrake tells him that he's on to Baxter's little apartment thing with the other executives there. And Baxter thinks maybe he's going to get fired or get in trouble and basically says, like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm so sorry. And Sheldrake's like, actually, I could use that place. <laughs> and sort of just as indirectly as he can, and you know, basically infers, I want to use your apartment um and then offer some tickets to a show in exchange for using it and then also there's a little exchange where we see Sheldrake on the phone talking to his wife about that he'll be busy uh with another uh out of I think like out of city manager that's coming in that he needs to have dinner with and so clearly it's established that he's you know fooling around on his wife or fooling around behind his wife's back and so yeah, so there's that. It's further complicating his uh, apartment situation. Um, but at this point, we don't really know who that is just yet. Although you may or may not have had suspicions leading up to that point. But I think the thing that sort of made me go back and listen to it again was the exchange that after Baxter has this conversation and he gets his new office, he's like over the department that he was in um that he's so excited that he wants to take uh fran out to go to the to the movie i'm sorry to go to the theater rather to go see the show and when they're talking and she mentions that she's already got a date but she'll try and beat him after that she says something or he says something about how he knows a lot of information about her because he just happened to see her file <laughs> <laughs> and she laughs it off and I'm I'm, I'm just thinking like man Stop back her. in the yeah like there are so many red flags going on with this exchange that it's only okay in this movie in this time period like or maybe maybe it wouldn't be maybe it's just Hollywood but I just I was curious what your thoughts were about that I know it's just a very sort of brief and it's meant to be lighthearted little exchange and they're laughing about it but I'm like this guy's really pushy <laughs> It's also really weird, you know, in that respect. So uh, any just any thoughts that you guys had? And uh, since I passed it to Chris last time, May, I'll go ahead and, and pass it to you now. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, stalker, but also 
having finished the film, I look at that scene so much differently because in the moment it's like, wow, like she's being very calm around this dude. And then you finish the film and you're like, oh, her standards are just like not on the ground. They're subterranean. Mm. So she's like, oh, this guy's a bit quirky, but he's basically nice to me. And hey, he's not married. (laughs) (laughs) Cleared that bar. (laughs) I was like, oh, poor friend. No, honey. I I love the scene with Sheldrake because I think it does a great job establishing who he is. Uh, He kind of toys with uh, Bud like he is some sort of pray and wants to let him know that his career and thus his life to some extent is in his hands uh, I do think Bud is definitely <clears throat> kind of a homie about the whole thing dude he's like oh now this is my place sometimes they go in there to change and plays it off pretty well mm-hmm. um, but I think there's a great payoff because that scene is sort of echoed later on at the end of the film when he returns the key so you see Sheldrake trying to reassert his dominance and remind him of who's in charge. So it makes it that much more satisfying to see him have a very different outcome. And I don't want to get a, too far ahead. Uh, as far as uh, all the stuff, um, <laughs> basically, I know you, things as deep as your medical history. Uh, I think it's one of the few aspects of the films that the film that doesn't really age particularly well i don't think that the audience is meant to be alarmed by it probably wasn't at the time certainly comes off a little bit differently now but i was willing to chalk that up of like that's part of the part of the times it's just not we don't live in the same world i don't know maybe 1960s audiences would have thought nothing of that but um we did we had a chuckle about that marianne and i little bit of like jesus christ like anybody in today's society would be bolting for the goddamn door and like calling hr if they were rattling off all these things that they should not know about you yeah Um, they do kind of tie it into his love of like stats a little bit i think it's meant to be what's the word i'm looking for verification for the audience of this is kind of how he sees the world a little a little impersonal you know like i don't think he's intending to be creepy or anything like harmful about it but yeah it does it just it was one of those things too where i just i did sort of a double take and i had to go back and like put the subtitles on to be like did i hear exactly what he said clearly like (laughs) but yeah and yeah i imagine so i mean could you imagine like trying to tell somebody how you met your significant other and it's like oh well they said they looked at my personnel file and i just i found that really charming <laughs> they were that interested in me <laughs> so I, a, I went on a date they, they did a hipaa violation and it was yes. hearing <laughs> it is a bit like that i you know sorry slight spoilers for Mad Men, where don you know like uh, very early i think it's like the first season like has betty like going to a psychiatrist because he wants to know, you know, well, you don't find out immediately, but you, like you think it's like, okay, he wants her to get some help. And then he's just talking to the psychiatrist, like on the phone, like after every session and getting like all the, the stuff and there's nobody has a problem with it. I think, again, indicative of the times a little bit yeah. where uh, doctor patient confidentiality meant like, well, your husband's privy to everything. 
<laughs> you as a woman have no agency. Like, you know, sure, we won't tell your neighbors, but your your husband's entitled to know. You know wild. Well, kind of moving on from that scene and questionable um, pickup tactics, then we've got... <laughs> We have Baxter who thinks he's, you know, thinks maybe she'll show up to like go and enjoy the show. Then we see that Sheldrake, uh, it's actually Fran that Sheldrake is going to meet up with um, at a bar uh, that we find out they've been to several times before. And that Fran is having conflicted feelings about meeting with them because she's trying to get over the fact that it's never going to, like, she knows it's never going to work out and that he's just going to keep um, putting off trying to supposedly leave his wife that he doesn't really care for her the way that she does for him and then sheldrake wants to just try that one extra little tactic and say that oh well, now i've got my lawyer involved and so i think we can finally make this work so that helps i guess to some extent not well i guess pressure her essentially into going with him to um, baxter's apartment which she doesn't know whose apartment it is at that time. And that's where they end up staying. And the next scene that we see is Baxter's just kind of hanging out outside the theater. Everybody else has gone in for the show. And unfortunately, she never shows up. So, um, we kind of fast forward a bit in the timeline after that. I think it's pretty much up to the Christmas party because then later we have Baxter talking with Fran and kind of telling her, you know, no hard feelings about you know not showing up for the theater that he knew that she had a date before that and it was probably really important so you know he got it you know he tried to be overly understanding and you know apologetic and and all that and so um but then we do get a little bit of the exchange where he realizes that she was in the apartment with sheldrake because of the exchange of the mirror like the mirror the compact mirror that she owns that she inadvertently leaves that he hands back to sheldrake later and that Sheldrake then gives back to her and that he then finds again later when he's trying on a new hat that he got that he's talking to Fran about at the office Christmas party. And I think it's interesting in the film and it's actually the scene for those who are watching our YouTube video. It's in the scene that's behind me um, where we get to see at two different points, you get a reflection of Sheldrake and you get a reflection of Baxter in them looking at the mirror and seeing that it's broken and seeing how it makes their face look. And Fran makes some comment to him about never having it fixed because I, I don't know the exact quote, but that it essentially makes her feel the way that she look, or that it makes her look the way that she feels. Sorry. <laughs> and I was just kind of curious about that, what you thought about the way that it sets that up and, you know, the symbolism behind just sort of all of these characters that are in some ways broken. I mean, whether we're the whether we're rooting for them to learn from it or whether we don't like them like we're not supposed to with Sheldrake, just sort of your your thoughts about that, that setup and, and anything that sort of um, affected you when you were watching that. Yeah, I, I think it's maybe the best scene in the film um, The I think just I love the symbolism of the mirror. I love it as a plot device and. The writing is just is so good, you know. I, that line I think delivered any other way could have come off as a little hokey or trite, but again, Shirley MacLaine just absolutely amazing bit of acting. That scene and the restaurant scene that you talked about in the Chinese restaurant were 
particularly like tough just because of how well she sells sort of the hopelessness and when he gives her the hope of the impending divorce that is never to come uh it's just you you know as the audience that it's this guy just wants to get laid so he's going to say whatever it takes to get her back to the apartment boy it's just it's tough but phenomenal um stuff so i i love that i think the the mirror scene in the office where he realizes and then of course all the things that sort of follow that is uh it's amazing i don't know it was my favorite scene i think in the office because i i was wondering again like how are they gonna do this right is he gonna see her coming out of the apartment like how how and it's so much more amazing and tragic than i would have concocted based on again my expectations and the film went right on subverting them great stuff yeah it's it's made it especially Mm -hmm. tragic by the fact that like the way the mirror was broken was apparently she threw it at Sheldrake (laughs) yeah Uh, Yeah. so I I feel like that and her line about it and making her look as broken as she feels were kind of our two biggest hints to kind of where her head was at and how bad her mental state was Um, but yeah it's 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 sad and you're right like the way Shirley McLean delivers it it does seem like genuinely tragic not someone just trying to be kind of like emo which is how it could mm. come off from another actress yes. um so yeah I think it's a really well done a uh, pair of scenes and I also think it's kind of touching that I don't necessarily know if I support you know Baxter and Fran as a couple at the end but I do think it's touching that Baxter um immediately recognizes it's her mirror whereas uh sheldrake doesn't until he sees like Mm. that it's cracked and is told multiple times that it was found in the apartment and he's like oh yeah i guess that's hers it's a good point too considering a later scene where he doesn't really know when they're trying to exchange gifts sheldrake and and fran at, at christmas time and he doesn't really know he says that he doesn't know what she would have liked so he basically just pays her to for having met up with him yeah and so yeah that's a good point kind of before we jump that far ahead and i know that for the sake of time i might skip over a little i might gloss over a little bit to get us to the end of the the end of the story here but at that christmas party that's where sheldrake's secretary kind of eavesdrops in and then uh explains to fran that she is definitely not the first uh, woman in the office that sheldrake has tried these lines with that Sheldrake and she were involved and like three other women that she lists off before her or after her I can't remember the order um but basically saying that he always tries to schmooze everybody and think that they're important and that he's just waiting to leave his wife once everything is in the right time and you know set you know set aside with the lawyer or whatever the excuse is and so after that, when they meet up at Baxter's apartment, when it's Sheldrake and Fran, and they're exchanging Christmas gifts after the party, um, and he mentions to her that now is really not a good time because of the holidays and the kids being in and they have to put it off some more. She finally just breaks down because, she, I mean, she knew it was it was always going to be that. And just sort of having that be the same situation and feeling unhappy that she keeps making the same decision to hope that maybe it'll work out um we see her as may was talking about looking at some sleeping pills and at first she's thinking okay well maybe she's just rummaging rummaging through the cabinet and we don't really think you know maybe it's not going to be like anything dire but once baxter comes back to his apartment 
after having gone out to get drunk on Christmas Eve um, and pick up a <laughs> what I think is probably one of the funniest women in the movie just because of just the weird setup. It's this lady who really just wants some action and tells an interesting story about her husband, boyfriend, whoever, who's like locked up in Cuba. <laughs> I love all of their bar interactions yeah. and how they dance together so awkwardly. It's just, it's yeah. all perfect. She reminded me a little bit of um, Lena Lamont from Singing in the Rain. Like, yes. with that accent. Yes. You know, oh my it's gosh, sort of yes. unrefined. Like, yeah. That's gorgeous. It's great too. And it is. And it's just, it's funny, like some of the lines that she has too about just calling his, when they get back to the apartment and her just being like exclaiming that, oh, this is like Snugsville or something. And it's like, man, I'm going to have to I'm gonna put that line away for a future, you know, if you're talking about an apartment sometime, right? Just to, just to get the reaction. But um, when they come back and she's making drinks, uh, Baxter goes into, he notices that some gloves have been left on the table and he recognizes who they belong to and he goes to toss them in the bedroom to get back later and realizes that Fran is still there and he's upset because at this point he realizes who she's been with and he doesn't really want to have her around and so he's just trying to wake her up and give her the same routine that the bartender gave them earlier which was you know it's time to get out <laughs> O-U-T. And, OUT out yeah. and, she, uh, and she doesn't wake up and he panics understandably because he's like shaking her and she's not waking up and he sees the bottle of pills that the entire bottle is empty and he knows how many pills were in there before and so he bolts to his neighbor who's a doctor and like begs him to come help meanwhile he goes back in and kicks out the lady he picked up <laughs> and they're able to to revive her and for a very large portion of the what happens over the next, I don't know how much time it was. It was felt like most of like the second half of the film was them together while she is recovering in his apartment for like the next forty eight hours. Um, so I I guess I'm going to try for the sake of timing and, and put a couple of questions together on this. Um, while she's in the apartment with him, and they're talking about, they're sort of discussing how she's felt about the relationship with Sheldrake. He talks about a time where he thought about killing himself and that it was a gun that he was, he couldn't figure out how he wanted to do it. And then a cop ended up coming up to approach him and he panicked and shot himself in the knee. <laughs> and so she thinks that he's just trying to be, uh, that he's just trying to commiserate with her and that he's telling a story. Um, but it's interesting how later at the end of the film, we do see a gun that he puts aside when he's packing some things. And I was just curious, a couple of things uh, to ask both of you about, which was one, what are your thoughts about suicide being depicted in this film? Whether it's about just the fact that it even is for a movie like this at this time, or how it's portrayed and any thoughts about that. And then my second question is, did you think that he was telling a tall tale or at that point, you know, in the film at least, or did you think that his story was true? And so maybe I'm going to toss it over to you first. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it definitely like came out of left field for me. Like it was a 
very layered and thorough like depiction and discussion of suicide which i appreciated because there's plenty of movies like this where it's used as like almost a joke or just kind of like used for shock value without diving into it really so i appreciated that this did fully dive into it once it once it you know came on screen um i thought that it was tasteful they didn't show the actual scene where she took the pills um although i didn't necessarily love the doctor slapping her around scene (laughs) Yeah. All that punch felt a bit gratuitous. Yeah, I appreciated that afterward she got the chance to talk about it and convey that it wasn't just like, oh, girl sad because man married. It's been for her a lifetime of feeling like she would never find love and that like a huge important part of her life would just never go her way. And especially for a woman of this time era that has financial repercussions too. And it meant that she had to live with her sister and feel kind of like a spinster and a failure. And all that layer makes her decision seem a lot less crazy and more like, oh, I could see how someone would get depressed and come to this conclusion. So I appreciated that because a lot of the time it's kind of a like, oh yeah, woman, emotional, of course she would do this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I liked that and I appreciated Baxter trying to relate. I thought he was being authentic. I think he was trying to tell it in kind of a comedic way just to make it easier to talk about. But the fact that he was like willing to show her the, his knee, which would probably have a pretty obvious scar on it. Um, I, I I believe him. I think that that was something he went through. And um, I think Fran's response of questioning if it actually happened means that did mean something for her to hear that like she wasn't alone in feeling that way i agree it's definitely authentic story i think there's too much detail in it i love the gun because it's like it's a almost like a joke checkoffs gun at the end of the film yeah where, where there's sort of a gag with it yeah. where the champagne you know uh is popped um but yeah i feel like it, it's definitely an authentic story i think you know, it, it really hardens the audience in case you weren't already completely against uh, Sheldrake. The like, it's one thing to get into, you know, an affair as a married man where it's like two consenting adults where they kind of know the the deal, so to speak. It's something completely different and even more horrible when you're stringing somebody along with hope, you know, like he's doing, yeah. I think. Um the first is shitty. The second is even worse because you don't even have sort of trust and, and I don't know, like truthfulness going on uh, between the two, the two people. So um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. I, I think the, it, it is understandable why she does what she does. I, I think that uh, including the doctor is sort of like this, even though he it's like a sternum rub would work just as well. I don't know why you're doing that, but <laughs> he pulled right. out the smelling salts and I was like, oh, great. And then he was like, well, bam. <laughs> okay. Well, um, but it, it is, it is an interesting bit of sort of character development, plot development, because he gets to see the, some of his ideas are reinforced about who Bud is in his private life. But also, I think he, for the first time, sees him as a complicated human being. Just the how Baxter, Bud, whatever you want to call him, like handles the situation and the sort of care that he gives her recuperating. And I love his loyalty, I got to say, to kind of keep her secret, guarded, 
all the way throughout the movie. I think it's a very admirable thing that he does and not really explaining more than he has to to as much as he's peering into her personnel file. He's rather guarded, which I think is a very sweet gesture. So um, even though we kick it off with a tragedy, I think the character development that happens subsequently after that midpoint is uh, some really wonderful stuff, including his story. His suicide story was was amazing. It's it is a little humorous, but also um, it's nice that they're kind of kindred spirits in that regard, you know, than that they like survived this terrible thing. And he's he's giving her genuine hope of like, hey, like you can come out of this dark place there's a way for I've been been where you are versus like, oh, I'm going to divorce my wife. Um, so she gets hope in two very different ways from two very different men. And one is significantly sweeter than the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, I just got to say with the keeping her secret thing that did bother me a little because it's like, OK, but like tell her sister at least because like she needs help. Like, yeah <laughs> well and the sister wasn't there there was just the, the fucking greaser that shows up yeah you know? yeah. yeah but she was like going to call her sister and like he could True. have taken the phone and, and then like told the sister a slightly altered version yeah of events i don't know but that read me slightly the wrong way even though it was well-intentioned and uh, a very loyal act yeah yeah, he was trying to be loyal to everybody. He was trying to keep everybody's name clean. He was trying not to have anything get out that was going to implicate anybody in anything. And then he was willing to take the fall for everything and mm-hmm. or to have the bad image. And yeah, it is interesting. You, when yeah, he tries to get Sheldrake on the phone uh, to talk yeah. to her, do you think it's about trying to make her feel better? Or is he like genuinely trying to patch things up that scene was a little like hard for me to read in terms of what his motivations were i couldn't tell if he was just trying to make her feel better or if he just wanted the status quo um i like to think it was trying to make her feel better like hey he's not a total heartless piece of shit even though i know he is like just fucking talk to her and and tell her that you've thought about her even like once since all this like shit's gone down but how did you guys read that i'm gonna go with he was doing it partly to try and mend things up because he doesn't really know the extent of their history together at that point, even though he's he's heard it from Sheldrake and he thinks that he's trying to be reassuring to Fran about it in a weird way. I think it has to do with the fact that what he was, it was the girl he really loved before that married his best friend, correct? Mm-hmm. So maybe in some weird way he feels like it's happening all over again. Not that Sheldrake is his best friend, but in the same sort of like, there is a relationship there that he's trying to maintain and so i think that it's just trying to keep everything from keeping his arrangement secure about the apartment but also just trying to make sure that the people that he's doing this on behalf of are are okay so that's at least how i read it yeah um i think it just goes back to the loyalty thing especially his loyalty to like sheldrake like I mean, he has feelings for Fran, but he wants to be loyal to Sheldrake and everyone at the company. And I think he sees the best way to do that to be like being as hands off with Fran as possible and just trying to get everything patched up there. Um, I, I do think he also hopes it'll make her feel better in a backwards mm-hmm. way. <laughs> and also maybe get her out of his apartment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, 
I guess with that in mind, then too, like the rest of the film kind of it sort of wraps up a little bit faster than that. We get a few additional plot points along the way, like as Chris talked about, uh, Fran's brother-in-law, who's a cabbie, is worried about her. Is his or her sister rather? Fran's sister is so worried that she, I guess, either has him, asks him, or he is prompted at some point to come and search for her and goes to the office and finds out from a couple of the executives there that Fran and uh, Baxter haven't been in that day. And because the executives are a little miffed that Baxter stopped allowing them to just borrow his apartment all the time, they decide to basically um, clue in her brother-in-law to the fact that that's where she's at. And so he shows up and there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about is she okay what happened oh she took sleeping pills why what happened and then baxter of course trying to you know be the loyal one ends up implicating himself as like the cause of it so he ends up clocking him or uh, i should say the cabbie clocks him a couple of times in the face and tells friend to get her stuff and they're gonna leave um and there's also a little scene between the doctor and baxter where the doctor's encouraging him to be a human being <laughs> which was interesting um but at the end of the film pretty much the last couple of i guess scenes or setups that we see are that um baxter is finally being considered for like an executive assistant role and he finally decides he's kind of had enough of sheldrake trying to mooch off of his apartment sheldrake's wife has been told that he's been screwing around behind her back and so he got kicked out of the house and he's looking to i guess actually do stuff with fran and baxter has no interest in having any of that in his place and so he tells sheldrake no and returns all of his stuff and quits on the spot and then we cut to another scene after that where it's i guess it's new year's eve and um, sheldrake and fran are at the at the same restaurant at their same table and he's talking to Fran about what Baxter did and she has this moment of realization that crosses her face and so when he turns to see people celebrating she ends up slipping out I guess the back door or the side door or wherever and um, goes running after goes running to Baxter's apartment to see if he's okay and um, as Chris mentioned too you hear a you hear a loud pop which you're wondering if maybe it's the gun that we saw a few minutes before when uh, Baxter was packing up, but turns out it's just champagne that he's that he's popped. <laughs> and they sit down and they have a nice little card game together and he looks over and tells her that he loves her and that's pretty much where it ends. Um, so I was kind of curious about your thoughts about the end of the film and then anything else too that you'd like to add before we we move on. So May, I'll toss it over to you first. I was really cheering for them both, honestly, in that moment, because you've seen these two people pleasing folks that like aren't really acting as full humans, right? Like Dr. Dreyfus was kind of right. They were being pushovers the whole movie, and it's hard to get away from being like that. I've had issues with that myself, and um, it was very cathartic to see them both stand up for themselves in the final act. Um, don't know if I shipped them. But it was kind of nice that they just like met up and started playing cards. So it is left somewhat ambiguous if they're going to have a relationship or just be good friends now. Who knows? Um, but yeah, very proud for both of them for standing up for themselves and um, 
choosing to make better lives rather than giving in to despair. Yep. I'm I'm actually really glad to you, you mentioned the ambiguity with it because I think that if they tried to shoehorn in some sort of like, well, now I do care about you sort of thing, I feel like that would have made it hokey. And I, I appreciated the fact that they didn't do that. Yeah, that Baxter's it, like, I love you, I adore you. And she's like, just play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just shut up and deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which has a double entendre, right? <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> but but yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I'm glad you mentioned that. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I just got it to end in like a New Year's midnight kiss or some stupid shit like that. <laughs> um not I look, I promise I'm not wholly unromantic, but it would have felt a little too tidy. Um yeah. I think it was a, it's a great ending because of the ambiguity and i think you get the sense that whatever happens between the two of them in terms of a friendship relationship whatever that they're going to be a lot happier because they've made some good life choices and gotten away from the most toxic insurance agency of all time ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i I thought it was um it was very solid again subverted my expectations really yeah, if you weren't mad enough at Sheldrick already, this is the guy that sets your premiums. Hey. <laughs> Which insurance company was this again? <laughs> it's a fa- it was a fake one. It was yeah. very generic. Yeah. yeah was the apartment brought to you by Geico. <laughs> <laughs> Geico, don't sue us. I know. <laughs> sorry, Lizard. Just or Gecko. Sorry. <laughs> Please don't. Oh, now we're definitely don't. getting sued. I know, right? Like, Gecko's like, Lizard, you know who should have had you. renter's insurance? <laughs> Baxter. <laughs> nice. Is your apartment a revolving door for, uh, you know, for yeah, people trying to... <laughs> Before oh, our feature man. presentation, yeah. We're about to watch the apartment, but first, a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Miriam made me laugh because she was like, more like the, the apartment, more like the fuck pad. Am I right? Hey! <laughs> it was oh, like, yeah, Jesus. I know. I really didn't know that that was going to be sort of the, I thought it was going to be some weird meat cute thing where it's like, oh, they're, they're, they are in the same building or so. I had no idea what this movie was about. So yeah. this is yeah. gross, but I have to say my first thought when I found out that's what the apartment was being used for was it's, it's got to smell bad in there. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Man, I never saw that dude do any laundry at any point. And you know that bed, like if anything, dude, like the couch and the bed. He's going Mm. back and sleeping in there, man. And sometimes he's not even sleeping in it. He gets kicked out again for the next person. Like, dude, bad reviews on Airbnb for this guy. Like, I think the only other thing that sort of stood out to me, and this has no relation to anything we just talked about, was I really like the scene where you see him in his office, his cubicle, or not really even a cubicle. It's just this wide open room. The original open floor plan (laughs) where there's so many rows of desks and people doing accounting work. And I'm like, there's something about the way that scene is framed that I just think is very entertaining to watch just all these different extras doing their stuff so shout out to extras because we care about you and we don't yeah. want you to get replaced um Wait, loud as hell in that building yeah i know all those little clickety click 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 on those typewriters and stuff so yeah during that intro well i was thinking is this just like a predecessor to office space is that what this is going to be nah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes 
damn it feels good to be a gangster starts uh playing (laughs) (laughs) michael bolton (laughs) Uh, while while he throws the key and goes into a (laughs) (laughs) slow-mo what is it you say you do here (laughs) i'm the guy hey like that one guy who takes yeah it takes mail from one floor to the other like yeah he has a purpose <laughs> i got keys to exchange oh man all right guys well anything else before we we wrap up the show about the apartment nope this is a great film yeah, thank, you thank you for, for uh yeah. nominating you're welcome and thanks to my mom uh, shout out to you for introducing me to this film all the old films that I was too lazy to ever watch. <laughs> Thank you for always convincing me to watch them at like anytime I go home and that's what we catch up on. So definitely have to show some appreciation there. That's sweet. And now it is time for a game. And due to the time frame that we've got, I would kind of like to do a I'd like to do a game of um keyword countdown. But Chris, I also think that your introduction to Keyword Countdown is the most informative, and I will inadvertently (laughs) not give credit where credit's due. So please enlighten us as to what it is, and then I will attempt to do one, hopefully as well as you have. (laughs) But we're going to find out. It might be bumpy. (laughs) No worries. So Keyword Countdown is a original game created by Gavin Murphy, or Gav, as most people know him, of RKG, RKG Video excuse me almost got your company wrong sorry gab um and it is a game that takes the imdb plot keywords and uh essentially has the two people that are playing the guessers try to discern the film based on a least obvious to most obvious countdown of the keywords so the earlier into the list you guess the keyword the more points you get and of course, uh, since they're they're not ordered on IMDb, it's a little bit subjective for the person that creates the the round. But <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll have a round of uh, of films for us, and we'll attempt to guess it based off of the crazy keywords, as Gav would say, from IMDb.com. <laughs> Woo! Sweet. Thank you, thank Gav, you, for allowing us to play. Yes, and thank you, Gav, as well. Absolutely. All right. I can't promise it's going to go easy, but I think it's going to be entertaining. And I think that's really what matters at the end of the day. So yes. if you are ready, how many do we need again? I'm, 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 this is probably a bad question to ask now, but how many keywords <laughs> do we need? <laughs> um, I do 10 typically like per film. So um, nice. that's yeah, you can if you want to do like a lightning round, you could shorten that to whatever you want, but. 10 is the magic number and I'm I'm good. <laughs> so here we go. Fabulous. First keyword. Human in space outer space. Sorry. Human in outer space. But no need to worry about the inflection of why I'm saying that. Interstellar. Star Trek the picture. <laughs> Star Trek the motion picture. Man, that would be good. But no. And also Interstellar. You need to see it, Chris, one day. Gravity. Nope. All right. Keyword numero dos. Butt slap. Not to be confused <laughs> with the movie we just watched. <laughs> Butt slap and human in outer space. This sounds like a great movie. Spaceballs? Uh, 
oh if only but no event horizon <laughs> ah if only but for other reasons i know you love that movie i've not seen it so i'm just <laughs> <laughs> going off of your knowledge though why don't i know okay any other guesses going once going twice a keyword number three android star wars three or sorry six <laughs> <laughs> you got a few to choose from and no <laughs> i'm sorry ellie that's also the incorrect answer no she's very opinionated today she's like it is star wars you jerk <laughs> nothing that's chris nothing okay number four penal code so human in space butt slap penal code android uh alien three Ooh, good guess, but no. Yeah. Elysium? Also good guess, but no. All right. Number five. Third arm. Interesting that that follows penal code. I guess that would be third leg anyway. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, total recall? That would also... I, I like where your thought's at, but no. Okay. Damn. I know that's yeah, that... something else, but <laughs> that last one's really throwing me well. Yep. Okay. Next. Beheading. Choppy chop. Oh gosh. Can we get a recap? Sure can. Human in outer space. Butt slap. Android, penal code, third arm, and beheading. It's wild. Dune? The original? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> it is David Lynch, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Deleted scenes. <laughs> Gosh, man. A Galaxy Quest? Hmm, I like that, that idea, but no. No. Got nothing, my guy. Next. Satire. Spaceballs again? <laughs> Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. No, it's not. <laughs> what in the fuck? Mm -mm. Oh, man. I haven't seen I... this, but Starship Troopers? Oh, oh yeah. Right. On the balance, but no. Oh, dude, I I was sure you were right, man. Like, <laughs> service guarantees citizenship, but not this one. Um, nah, I got nothing, homie. Cool. Next, kidnapping. Kidnapping. Um, no. All right. Hey, any thoughts? This may or may not, depending on if you've seen it, this may start to veer in the in the a little bit clearer direction. Highway construction. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> nice job. So I haven't seen it, but I've I read that, that book. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Android too. Oh, yarp. 
Nicely well done. done. Yeah. I kind of figured that would do it. And then, you know what? I was just going to give you the hitchhiker as the last clue. <laughs> so nice. I figured at that point to put you guys out of your, your collective frustrations if it had come to that. So <laughs> excellent. The, well, this, sorry, I have to ask a question hmm? about the movie because I've only read the book. Does the movie have like the little ear fish that translate? Babble fish. Oh, yeah. I think yes. so, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Awesome. That would have been another good one. Yeah, that's true. I like that. All right, guys. Well, that's what I got. I don't have anything else. I wanted just like a quick round of it. And oh, that was like a singular well. film. That was a All singular right. film. That was a one-off. So I think with time, oh. that probably will help us out a little bit too. There, so, it will. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, May. So I get we can call that our lightning round if you want to. Winner. Just a quick little one-off. One-off. Take but, a bow. Well played. Well played. <laughs> Great job. Yeah. <laughs> Good job so, all around. Yes, yes. Yeah. So thank you guys for playing. Uh, thank you, Gav, again, for letting us play the game. And also, Chris, your introduction and uh, the joy of, of giving you guys a round of that. So, And also for uh, your interest in watching The Apartment. So thank you all again. And Chris, back over to you, man, to see what we got going on next week. Yeah, let's see what it is going to be next week. Oops, I almost drew another side quest. That would have been fun. <laughs> Mix oh let's see it is a wink wink nudge nudge, nudge, nudge. which is a new category uh, as a little reminder that is a category where we will discuss a self-aware film that grapples with social issues via satire parody or by breaking the fourth wall this is going to be a crisp pick and speaking of films about hollywood this is the player, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. To give you a little sneak peek of what's in store for you, the opening shot is a long take. So a long take is like a long, a continuous, uncut shot that is filled with characters talking about their favorite long takes, like in Hollywood films. Like so, <laughs> strap <Nice>. in. <laughs> it's a really good movie, though. Um, Robert Altman directed starring tim robbins um just love this movie because it is about hollywood and the bullshit of hollywood business really couldn't be a better time to pick this movie <laughs> given that we just talked about the strike i can't wait to hear what you guys think about it it's got a very stacked cast of um amazing actors directors like it's just very self-referential and and uh i hope you like it excellent i'm looking forward to it yeah this will be my first watch but just pulling it up on google i've definitely seen like some little scenes from this going around social media nice. uh, around the writer strike or just in general just in general <laughs> yeah. like the the guy with the greased up hair leaning back in his chair doing this move i've seen that oh yeah I, I think it is a very timely movie it's funny because i know probably once again people are going to accuse us of of cheating i think this this podcast just uh is very timely when it comes to how we uh how things fall sometimes but uh the sort of the surface level story is it, it's kind of a murder mystery too which i think may you'll enjoy that sort of like whodunitness like oh yes I aspect will. of it <laughs> um but it has a lot to, to say about hollywood and who would know better than robert altman who made his bones uh as like a new hollywood director and then sort of had had to navigate the uh all the inner workings of the studio system so can't wait guys have you seen it before will 
Nope. First time, man. I am looking forward to it. Fantastic. All right. Well, <laughs> we will be back next week to talk about the player. And then I believe the following week. No, it'll be two weeks after that. We'll be covering The Shining, right? I think we said September 20th is like when that is coming out. So stand by. We got a little I bit mean, of I'll, time. I'll, I'll take an extra week if you want to give it. I thought it was going to be before that. So <laughs> I am all we can t- We can that. talk off mic. We'll figure it out. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a birthy book uh, yeah. for a uh, girthy, not birthy. Jeez, girthy book uh, as far as even Stephen King books go. But um, it is yes. chonky. Yep. It's a little bit chonky, but... Um, we appreciate the support. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us while we uh, talk about film once again. You can find us on social media at ScreenQuest Pod, and of course on YouTube as well. If you prefer to watch the show wherever you get it, thank you for your support. We will see you next week. Bye. 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 any of the PCP spike clam chowder from the set of Titanic, and did they ever catch the person responsible? Yeah, that's kind of a crazy story. Uh, I remember I shot the first couple weeks of Titanic. What, what Jim did, he had, us, he had me and Gloria Stewart and Susie Amos, we were all up in um, Halifax, Nova Scotia. We were shooting on the Keldish, which is the Russian research vessel that had the two Mir subs that Jim had taken down to Titanic to shoot some footage that he used in the film. While we were shooting that, they were building the big set down in Rosarita Beach. Uh, one night, we'd, it was, we were shooting splits. We would go in around 5 o'clock, so we would take our dinner at midnight, and then we'd work till dawn. And uh, I didn't care for the caterer much, so I was ordering my meals in, but I was having a good conversation with Jim Cameron on the set. And I said, Jim, are you going to eat off the truck tonight? He said, yeah. I said, well, I'll join you. So we ladled up the clam chowder, not knowing it was laced with PCP. And uh, I don't know who did it or why, but I remember going back to my trailer after lunch, and Jim went up to his office. And uh, I heard a commotion, and I opened up my door, and I saw a couple of ambulances pulling in, and, and then an AD ran up and said, uh, are you feeling okay? And I was like, well, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm shooting all night. I'm feeling about as good as you can feel. And he said, well, did you eat the clam chowder? <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, I had a couple of bowls. And, uh, and about that time, I started feeling it. Now I'm starting to witness some bizarre behavior with the crew and stuff. <laughs> And, and they take us very close by. We were on the Dartmouth side of Halifax Bay. And uh, so all of a sudden, here's 150 crew members stumbling into the emergency room of a very small hospital at 1 o'clock in the morning. You see some people are freaking out. Some people are Congo dancing. Some people are, you? are euphoric. I, I knew I was pretty stoned on something pretty bad. And I thought, we, me and Jim thought that it was, there was a neurotoxin in the clams. We didn't know what it was. We thought maybe the clams had been left out in the sun or whatever. But I figured, while they examine all these other hundred people, I said to Jim, I said, Jim, I'm, I'm not going to hang out here. This is bedlam. I'm going to go, I'm going to wander. Because it was only a few blocks from the set. I'm going to wander back down and just drink a case of beer, which is what I did. <laughs> and, uh, that, seemed to, that seemed to help me. <laughs> <laughs>